chapter number four will be our text this morning. And we will continue to look at the uh, church. And the purpose of the church is, is, our, is our theme right now where we're at. We're doing a series on the church in general, if you haven't been here with us. And um, we are talking about right now the progression of the church's purpose. And uh, for the next few weeks, we'll look at the church's purpose and uh, address what it is. And then hopefully, uh, as, we, as we grow and uh, mature as a church body that we'll be able to practice the things that we see biblically as being the um, purposes for us to be here. If you weren't here with us last week, we're uh, basically going to take the same verse of Scripture, and my goal this morning is to unpack it a little bit further. Um, if you weren't here last week, you'll benefit from not having heard it at all. If you were here last week, we're, we're just going to go a little bit further this morning, a little bit more rubber meets the road, uh, grassroots uh, teaching, where uh, we, how we apply this and um, how this looks in our daily life when it comes to the functionality of the local church and, and what we're supposed to be doing and uh, what we're supposed to be accomplishing, what we're supposed to be seeing, and uh, some basic principles as we go through that process. And uh, we're really here for more than um, many of us know and understand. It's more than just being taught the Word of God, um, although that's a part of it, but we're really here to be helping each other, to be growing and maturing in our purpose, and, and, um, and, and then to be utilizing what God has given us through gifts and, and, and talents to, to glorify Him and, and to help other people. So I want to unpack this passage or this verse of Scripture, really verse, uh, chapter 4 and verse number 12, in, in a little bit more of a practical way this morning. And um, hopefully we can leave here with a, uh, uh, some action, something that we can do. The Bible says in verse 12, the purpose of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so there are three things that we talked about last week, and this is a, a progressive uh, type of text. Um, we start off with equipping the saints, then we move to the work of the ministry, and then the edifying of the body of Christ. Before we ever get to that place, it's important that we understand that the church as a whole, um, what we call the universal church, or, or the church as a whole, its purpose is, is to gather up the sheep. Okay, that's why we're here. Jesus says in John chapter number 10 that I have sheep that are not of this fold, speaking of the Jewish people. Um, I have sheep that are not just of the Jewish people, but are the Gentile people, and, and I must gather them up as well. And Jesus Christ established the church for the purpose, or the, the universal church, all believers, for the purpose of gathering up all of his sheep. And, and his sheep are all over the world. His sheep are all over Hollister. Um, there are people right now that are sitting in their homes that are sheep, but they don't even know it. In, in other words, they, they are God's people that have not yet been gathered up. And um, our job as a, church, as a church universal is to go around and gather up God's sheep. It really makes our responsibility a lot different than what we, a, a lot easier, I guess, would be the right word than what we think it to be. Because uh, we think we have to, to take a wolf and make it into a sheep. That's not our purpose. That's not our calling. That's not why we're here. We're here to go out and gather the sheep up. 
And, uh, and, and we gather the sheep up by preaching the gospel and, and by living the gospel. We are that uh, element of God's purpose of gathering the sheep. We're that element that is able to identify who the sheep are and to bring them into the fold. Um, Spurgeon said, if God had chosen to put a yellow mark on the back of every one of his children, he would have gone around lifting up the back of people's shirts to see which ones were his people, and then he would have gathered them together. But then Spurgeon said this, God chose to identify who his people were by the preaching of the gospel. And the preaching of the gospel is what identifies who God's people are. And and, and ultimately, it's, it's how people respond to the preaching of the gospel. So what do we do in our daily lives? What is our job as we go to work, as we go to school, as we go to the different places that um, that God has placed us? What's our job? Our job is twofold. It is to preach the gospel and it is to live the gospel. And what's amazing about that is you'll, you'll begin to impact the people around you. You'll, you'll begin to identify those who are like, man, what's different or unique about you? And you'll be able to impact them with the gospel for salvation. And others you'll know right away, you'll find these people as well, who because of your message of the gospel and because of your lifestyle of the gospel, they will actually hate you even worse. Right? You're going to have both of those responses. Our job is to, to gather up the sheep. Again, John 10, Jesus says, I have sheep that are not of this fold. I must go and gather them up as well. In Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, he gives us the great commission. We're to go into all the world and make disciples. Or as as the other gospels say, we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. When we preach the gospel, we then baptize, which is identifying them with Christ. And then we, um, we teach them all things that the Lord has commanded them. Right? That's what the church does. That's the church's part of that responsibility, the local church. The Bible tells us in Acts 2 and verse 41, so those who gladly received his word were baptized and they were added to the church about 3,000 souls. And we see the, prog- the, pro- we see the <clears throat> progression there as well. They were gladly receiving of the word of God. They gladly received the truth. They were identified then with Christ and, and historically, many people were, were actually baptized into the church. They were almost baptized into membership. It was kind of a, a, almost a combination. They received his word. Uh, uh, they were obedient, submissive to his word. They were baptized, identified with Christ, and then they were added to the church. Okay, And this sequence is very, very important as the church grows. So the gospel reveals who the believers are or reveals who the sheep are. Repentance and faith is a response of the believers or of the sheep to the gospel. Okay, so remember that. The gospel reveals who they are. Repentance and faith is the response that they have to the gospel if the new birth has taken place, if God's spirit lives within them. And then, beyond that, humility, submission, and pliability take place in that individual's heart. At this point, a person is ready to be introduced into the church. Does that make sense? 
I'm not supposed to say that, I don't think, but <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that for, for <laughs> okay. I'm not going to be able to explain that one. All right. So, <laughs> it's an inside joke. When the gospel is preached, people respond to it in repentance and faith. With repentance and faith comes humility pliability and submission, then they are introduced into the church at which place they can be done, what can be done. They can be taught. It is, it is so important that this progression is taking place because if you introduce people into the body of Christ or into the church who are not submissive, who are not humble, who are not pliable, what you're introducing into the church is danger. You're bringing into the church wolves to, to, to be amongst your sheep, to be amongst our sheep that are not yet sheep or that are not yet humble to be able to be taught and train the truth of God's word. This is why we preach the truth and teach the truth. This is why God says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. It doesn't say to bring them in and preach the gospel. It says to go out and preach the gospel, to bring them in and then to teach them all things that God has commanded them. Our job is to go out, identify the sheep, bring the sheep in so that the sheep can be taught what it means to represent Christ. One of the dangers in the postmodern church today is that it's full of unregenerate, unsubmissive, self-righteous, proud people. It's one of the problems of the postmodern church is that people have not come to a point in their life where they've bowed their knee to the Lord. They enter into God's quote-unquote body, the local church, and guess what they refuse to do there? Are we surprised that they refuse to bow the knee in the local church to what God has them to do when they refuse to bow the knee to Jesus Christ? We ought not to be surprised that that rebellious, self-righteous attitude that they have before they come to the church stays with them when they get here. So what our job is, what our duty is, is to preach the gospel to them, to bring them to a point of self-denial, right? To bring, to bring them to a point of humility, brokenness. When a person is broken before the Lord and they realize their brokenness, they, they realize their, their, their emptiness and their frailty, they can then be brought into the church and the church can perform its process of equipping them, of employing them, and of encouraging them. In the same way that it's dangerous to bring a proud, hardened criminal into your home. Think about this with me. In the same way that it's dangerous to be a proud, hardened criminal into your home, it's dangerous to bring a proud, hard-hearted sinner into the church. There's one thing if there's a criminal who has, who has confessed his wrongdoing and has obviously expressed a great deal of remorse and you have an opportunity to help that person to grow and to get better. It's a totally different thing if you're dealing with somebody who is an outright criminal who has no remorse at all and wants to hurt you and your family. Does that make sense? Somebody, somebody told me recently not to say, does that make sense? And now it's like really fresh on my mind. So 
I'm not going to say that anymore. <laughs> this sermon. <laughs> it's dangerous to bring somebody into your home that is, their goal is to bring destruction in the same way that it's dangerous to bring somebody into the church whom their goal is to bring destruction. This is why in 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul says, if somebody's in the church and they are consumed with sin, with gross sin, the text says, they're actually to be put out of the church. So, it's, so, so this, this, this progression, this cycle is absolutely important. They are taught the gospel. They are told what the gospel means. They are called to repentance as Jesus Christ called them to repentance, Right? They are called to repentance. When they repent and recognize their sins, they are, brought back, they are brought into the church at which time they can be reset. They can be employed with the purpose of their life, with the gospel, with a ministry, and they can be encouraged in their ministry. So I want to look at that, these three steps. After they have come to that place of repentance and faith in Christ, we introduce them into the church, and now here's where the church comes in. Here is what the church's responsibility is. Again, it's threefold. Number one is to equip. To equip them. Okay, the Greek word here is katartismos, and it, it literally means to reset. We talked about this last week. It means to reset them. Okay, if you can imagine again, um, just, just imagine somebody going one direction in life, and their, and their purpose and their, and their vision and their direction and, and everything about their life is going in this direction, they come to realize that this direction is the wrong direction, right? And that Christ shows them this direction is the wrong direction. You're going in the wrong way. You're hurting yourself. You're destroying everybody around you. And you come to realize that and you have repentance and you, and you are made right with God through the work of Jesus Christ, Okay? And, and, and yet at the same, and so, you're, so now you're going in this direction, but you don't, you don't, you, you haven't yet come to this full victory over this direction yet. You still, you still perhaps struggle with, why was this direction so bad? Or, or you still haven't come to where you've overcome the temptation of, of, of bringing these things over as you walk down this path and go in this direction. So what the church does is the church takes the person who has been reborn by the Holy Spirit and has had repentance and faith and is now going in the other direction. And what the church does is it resets them in regards to their thinking. The church resets us in regards to our, our purpose and our thinking and, and how we, we oftentimes ask New believers will want to go back this direction or when we have a, a moment of stress, we'll lean this way. The church is there to, to refocus us. The, the church is there to, to, to reset us onto the right path. It's there to say those right words. It's there to, um, to remind us of who we used to be and who we are today. It's there to refresh us in regards to our standing with God and therefore we are now holy on the inside and therefore we should be holy on the outside. That's what the church is there to do. You guys ever need reminding of those things? 
You ever have that moment where pressure and stress are coming at you a full force and you, and you start to think about being angry or being bitter or going after something that is fleshly satisfying? All you're doing is, is you're trying to drag your past into your future. The Lord has completely changed you. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen? It doesn't mean that we're not going to be pulling these things and trying to put them up here. What the church does is the church helps us. It helps reset our thinking. It helps reset our purpose. It helps reset our, 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 our direction. It puts us back into place. The word means to, to realign, to reset. And, uh, and I just put this in here as well, to, to set straight. You ever heard somebody say, I'm going to set them straight? We've always looked at that as a bad thing, right? But folks, the reality of it is, is we all need to be set straight, don't we? I mean, and it's not just when we get saved, but we need to be set straight every day. Our, our, our lives go down these paths and they think, and our minds think these things, and our flesh goes towards these things, and we need to be constantly reset, don't we? We need to be constantly reset to push that button on our computer to reset it, to push that button on our mind to reset it so that it, it, it stops thinking about those old things and, can, and starts to think about the Lord. The Bible says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. It's that same Greek word which we get the idea of resetting. Aim to be reset. Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And here's some practical things. What is important to know when we're resetting people? Remember this, before I go any further, remember this. The three things, the three progressions that I want to talk, I'm going to, I'm going to share with you, you're, you're either in those progressions yourself, or you are helping somebody who is in those progressions. As a church member, as a part of the body of Christ, you're either in a progression or you're helping those who are in that progression. If you're not, you're not fulfilling your purpose for being here. Okay? Nobody is here to warm a seat. We're here to be active. We're here to be doing something. Whether or not God is doing something in our life, which he should be, but if you've grown to that point where you are mature in the Lord, then you should be helping other people be reset. You should be helping other people be employed. You should be helping other people be encouraged. So with that, think about these practical things. Number one, what is important to know when resetting? Number one, those who are being reset are currently hurting. They are, they are already in pain. They are already suffering from something. There, there's a reason why they need to be reset. So it's important as we get ready to reset them that we understand the pain that they're already in. Sometimes we don't even think about the pain that people are going through when we go to reset them in the situation that they're in. We're completely unmerciful. We're completely ungracious. We don't think about what they've gone through and where they're at and where they need to be sure, but to, to consider where they're at and the pain that they're dealing with. 
to be conscious of that, to be understanding of their situation in such a way that when we do help them reset, that we do it with compassion, that we do it with a heart of love, that we do it with a heart of sympathy, that we help them through the process. It's it's called discipleship. We've got to realize that they're coming to us as a church with hurt. They're coming to us as a church broken. They're coming to us as a church with the wrong thinking, with the wrong direction, with the wrong purpose in life. We're going to reset them. But man, by all means, Lord, help us to be patient. Help us to be um, kind and caring and compassionate in the process. The people that you will help the most when it comes to discipleship, folks, are the people who are going through the things that you've went through before. That's the ones where you know exactly what the temptation that they're dealing with. It's like, I don't know about you, but I deal, I do some counseling with people who have addictions, right? And sometimes I'm talking to them, and I've never had, I've had addictions. I, we all have had addictions, right? But sometimes I'm sitting across the table talking to somebody with an addiction that is addiction that I've never had before. And I'm really, honestly, I'm praying in my mind, Lord, help me to, Be compassionate. Help me to be merciful with this person that I have no understanding of what they're dealing with right now. I have no understanding of the depth of that sin and temptation, but I know this, that God is bigger than it. But I I do, I wanna have that understanding, I wanna have that appreciation for the pain that they're currently in. When I can understand and appreciate the pain that they're currently in, I will be able to then help them with the the pain and the resetting of, of their direction and their purpose in life. Folks, one of the biggest struggles that we have as Christians is, is, is knowing that we as believers have a whole new purpose. We do. We have a whole new purpose, a, a significant purpose. But it's sometimes difficult to remember that. So remember, when somebody comes to you and they're wanting and they're needing to be reset, they're already in, there's already pain there. There's already hurt there. Number two, remember that it is internal pain. It's not always external pain. Internal pain often reveals itself by external decisions. Okay, remember that. Internal pain often expresses itself by external decisions. Why did they make that decision? And we, in our self-righteous way, we come up with all of these judgmental reasons why they made the decisions that they made. We often don't realize that there's some internal things going on that's causing them to make these external decisions. So it's an internal pain that causes us to make external decisions, but also sometimes external masks help us conceal our internal pain. The pain that a lot of people are dealing with is spiritual, emotional, relational, mental, when, we're re- when it comes to the things of God, when we're resetting them, we must understand that the pain is on the inside. It's easily masked. It's easily masked. And it is very, very powerful. The cause of pain, according to the scriptures, fourfold. Number one is sin. The Bible says that sin has separated us from our God. The number one reason for for pain in any individual's life, the number one reason for people needing to be reset is that they have sin in their life. That's the number one reason. The number two reason is this, 
they've been deceived and they've been lied to and they've been manipulated by the devil. Does that make sense? Said it again. <laughs> gonna kill me. I will never forget that. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> May as well be honest with it. <laughs> it makes sense. Thank you. So let me get back to what I was saying. So the four causes, real quick, the four causes of pain is sin, deception, lies, and manipulation. Say, Pastor John, why is that important? Because remember this. Be careful that you don't use the things that have caused the pain to try to beat the pain. The church is very good at manipulating, lying, and deceiving. And using sin to help with sin. We want to make sure that when we deal with people who are hurting, that we don't take one sin and give them another sin to kind of help them with this sin. That's not the way you deal with sin. will set them free. What do we need? What is necessary when we're resetting people? We need the truth. We need the truth to be taught We need to be held accountable to the truth. We need to see the example of the truth. And we need to fellowship around people who love the truth. Sometimes the greatest way that we impact other people's lives is not necessarily by what we say, but it's how we live our lives. It's when they watch us and they see, wow, that is something different. That is unique. There's something special about that person, and it is Christ. We need to be the truth to people. Jesus prayed in John 17 and verse 17, sanctify them, set them apart, reset them is another way of saying that in the truth, your word is the truth. Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The last thought in regards to equipping or resetting is this, what attitude should accompany resetting? I'm going to give you some scriptures and I'm going to give you some quick thoughts and we'll move on. 2 Timothy 4, 2, 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 25, and James 3, 17. What attitudes should accompany us resetting people? Okay, and I'm going to give you a little list. Number one, patience. Patience here means waiting. It means waiting. It means to... It means to uh, to wait for something to happen. Be patient with people that you're working with. Be patient with people that you're discipling. Be patient with people that you are resetting. Number two, discernment. Be wise in what you're resetting. Remember this, there are, you know, the old saying is, is that a hill worth dying on? When you're discipling people, that's a question that you should be asking yourself. That's a question that you should be asking yourself. Is that a hill worth dying on? Is that so important that I'm trying to reset somebody? It's, it's almost like, you know, somebody has a broken finger, and I won't get into graphics this week, and, 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 and I buy them a fingernail filer, right? Be discerning with what you're working on with people. When you're discipling them, know what the problems are, know what the roots are, know what's going on that really matters, Be discerning when you disciple people. 
Number three, be non-confrontational. Matter of fact, one of the things that the Lord requires of elders is they, be, they don't be brawlers. Not always looking for a fight. Be non-confrontational with the people that you're discipling, that you're working with. You don't have to, you don't have to convince them of your way. That's not your job. That's God's job. And he's not going to convince them of your way anyway. He's going to convince them of his way. We're just there to present the truth and let God do his work through us, right? Amen? That's what we're there to do. We don't have to be confrontational with them. I, I, I will tell you this, just as a human being, right away when somebody gets confrontational, it turns me off just like that. I don't want to hear the next thing that they have to say. When it's just going to become a battle, a, a fleshly moment, I don't want anything to do with it. But when you show the power of Christ in you to take that moment that should be confrontational and you display God's grace and God's mercy in that moment, that will impact their life far better than you convincing them of your way. It is a gracious attitude. The Bible says those who have received mercy will show mercy. We're to be kind when we disciple. We're to be long-suffering. And I put this in uh, in addition to patience because this word means enduring. There's a difference between waiting for something to happen and enduring something. We're to be gentle. We're to be pure in our motives the reasons why we do what we do. We're to be peaceful. We're to be challengeable. What I mean by that is this. We're to be able to be challenged. We're to be able to be confronted without responding with confrontation. As as believers, we should be willing, and not just willing, but desire someone to challenge what we're thinking. It's really, in so many ways, it's an open door, isn't it? We're to be without partiality, without hypocrisy, meaning that we're to live out the things that we're teaching, and we're to be merciful. Spend some time in the text that I just gave. It's easy to be brutal with people, right? It's easy to be brutal with people and get the results that you want, to get the actions that you want. But reality is this. Brutality might change actions, but it won't change hearts. What changes hearts is a man hanging on a tree for sins that he did not commit. That's what changes hearts. It is the grace that Christ displayed on that tree that will change a person's life. We're not worried about what they do on the outside as much as we worry about what's going on on the inside. And what's going on on the inside is right. Sooner or later, it will come out on the outside. So that's how we reset people, we equip them. Those are some important truths that we need to to hold to. Number two is is employing them. It says to do the work of the ministry. This is putting them into into action. And what are we to do as a church to help people become part, to to, um, to be able to use their gift for the Lord? Everybody in here has a gift. As a church, we have created a place that you can come and you can use that gift, okay? We've created a place that you could come and use your gift, and it's a safe place. Do you know the problem in a lot of churches today is that 
using your gift is a fearful thing because you're not good at it yet. How many of you were not good at your gifts when you first started using them? And you know what somebody did? Somebody gave you a chance and said, you know something, I'm gonna stick with you. I remember my, some of you have heard my testimony. When I was 18 years old, my dad let me do the announcements on Wednesday night. And Wednesday night services were like 10 people, right? And that was the amount of his faith and my ability to do the announcements, right? It's true. And I got up there and I mumbled and, I mean, I don't think you could understand any of, I should have just sat down and said, read the bulletin, right? But I mumbled through that and I fell over and I just, I was a mess. But you know what? The next Wednesday night I got up there again. The next Wednesday night I got up there again. And my dad kept giving me a chance and he kept working with me. And God took something that was totally impossible for me to do and he made that into my ministry. And you know, every day as I walk through my ministry and as I live out the Christian life, you know what I know? I know this, that the reason why I can stand up here and do this is by the grace of God. And if it would have been something that I was super talented at, super good at, and nobody had to encourage me or open up a door that maybe shouldn't have been opened up for me, I would never be where I'm at today. That's the grace of God. That's what the church is. Folks, listen, the church is a safe place for you to come and to stumble over your gift and to watch it develop and to work on it and to make mistakes and to fail and to have the body of Christ say, hey, don't worry about it. We got you. It's okay. It's okay. We're here with you. You can fail amongst us. No one here is perfect. I need some amens on that one. (laughs) Come on, right? There's not a single person in here that performs their gift perfectly. We need more people that are excited about trying things in the church because they're totally not afraid of failing at all. They're like, hey, this church is so stinking safe. I don't know if I'm supposed to use that word, but uh, this, at least it wasn't a cuss word. (laughs) This place is so safe that I can come and I can try my gifts out and I can see where God has me planted. Most of us folks, listen, we sit on our hands every Sunday. We are so uninvolved because we're so afraid of failing. Let the hired people do it. We're no better at doing it than you are. We started doing announcements on Wednesday nights, not being able to speak clearly, right? That's where we started. That was our, that was our roots. Some of you sitting in here are, are, are Charles Spurgeon's. You're John Calvin's, you're, you're men that God has set aside for great ministry. You've just got to get off of your hands and start doing something for God. You've just got to believe that God has a purpose and, and that Grace Bible Church is where he planted you so that you could start to try things and see where you fit. We're so afraid of trying because we've become a church, the church has become a place that it's not safe to try. It should be the most, this should be the safest place to try things for God. It should be a safe community. This is what it means to employ people. It's a place where we can be transparent and be real. It's a place where we can realize what God's purpose is for our life. Listen, one of the greatest things that's going to take people from thinking wrongly is that they change their purpose that they have the renewal of the mind mentioned in Romans 12, that their mind thinks differently about why they're here. Why am I on this earth? 
Why did God leave me here? When you get that right, everything else will fall into place. And do you know who's here to do that? You are. You're here to remind each other why God has us here. What's God's reason for us to be here? We're here to remind each other of that. Not just in this congregation on Sunday morning, but on, when you guys fellowship on your, in your small groups, we're to remind each other why we're here. Why are we here? The church is a place where we can reestablish or realize our spiritual, our new purpose in life, our new direction, our new focus. The, perp- the church is a place where we can identify our spiritual gifts Practice them and perfect them. I think sometimes of how gracious Jesus was with his disciples and how patient he was with them and and how many times they put their foot in their mouth and he's like, it's all right. Get back up again. Let's keep on going, right? That's what the church is. It's not a place full of perfect people, is it? It's a place full of broken people who feel this enormous amount of freedom to serve Christ because of what he has done. That's what the church is. And a church that's full of self-righteous people will be a church where no one will try anything and it will no longer be a church anymore. It'll be a meeting place. We need to be a church where people know the work of the ministry and they are able to do it. To be Jesus' hands and his feet. To worship him, to glorify him. The church is a place to serve. The Bible says in Isaiah 61 and verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And then James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We're to be employed in the church. Find where your fit is. You say, Pastor John, I don't really know. Well, you know what? Start doing some stuff. Try some stuff out. This is the right place to do it. Try, try, get opportunities. The leaders of this church, listen, leaders, the leaders of this church should have open arms to people who want to try. Our arms should be wide open. You want to try it? Absolutely, let's give you a shot. We work with you, help you along the way. Maybe we identify what your gifts aren't. Right? It's a part of it too. But in doing so, we identify what your gifts are as well. Employed. This is the place to be employed for the Lord. And then lastly, encouraged. To edify or to build up. The Greek word is okatomai, and it just means to, to build. It's like building up of a building, building up people. The church is the place where people are to be built up. They're to be edified. Everything that we say and we do at Grace Bible Church should be to build up the body of Christ. Listen, all of the things that I've just said to you, they really, it really makes my first point really important, doesn't it? Before they come in, they have to be what? They have to be humble. 
They have to be broken. They have to be ready to be used of the Lord. Otherwise, this place becomes the most unsafe place there is. Because there are wolves walking around seeking whom they may devour. We do our, we do our process right We go out and preach the gospel. We preach repentance and faith in Christ. We bring people into the church and we reset them in regards to their thinking. Why are they here? Why are they in this world? What does Christ have for them? We then employ them with their spiritual gift. And then we, lastly, we encourage them. We lift them up. We admonish them to do what God has called them to do. And this can come through words. It can come through help. It can come through comfort and care and compassion and understanding. It can come from encouraging words. It can come from even some uh, uh, words that are, are constructive. But our, our, our life as a body should always be to encourage somebody. You guys, we should walk into Sunday morning. You, each one of us should walk into Sunday morning, and you should tell yourself when you walk through those doors outside, you should say, I am here this morning to encourage somebody. I don't even know who they are yet. But God has put me here to encourage somebody today. And I'm going to do a good job at it. And then your goal is to walk around and find out who they are. You say, well, Pastor John, how do you know? Just start encouraging people. You'll find them. Right? You'll find out who it is that needs the encouragement by encouraging people. This is about this body. No individual in this body is more important than any other individual in this body. No individual in this body has a more significant purpose than any other individual in this body. We need to understand our purpose and we need to start, we need to, let me say it this way, we need to move forward with it. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 7 about spiritual gifts. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, Strive to excel in the spiritual gifts in building up the church. That's what we're here to do. The church is you. The church is me. It's not this building. We're here to build each other up. Right? We're here to encourage each other, to help each other, that we can do what God has called us to do. So here's the cycle. We're either in reset mode, our thinking is being changed or altered, we're being being renewed in our mind, we're in employment mode, meaning we're just doing, doing, we're trying to find what our gift is, we're active, or we're in encouragement mode where we have found where we're at, and now we we have the privilege or the responsibility of helping somebody else find where they belong. Remember this, if you have found your spiritual gift and you know what it is and you're employing it, it doesn't take away your responsibility, it adds to it. Now you have become a discipler. Now your job is to take what God has helped you find and find other people and bring them into it. That's what leadership does. You're either being reset, you are being employed, you are encouraging. You are either resetting, you are either employing, or you are either encouraging. Every 
person that's here this morning should fit into one of those six categories. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace that you have shown to us, the mercy, the patience, um, the gentleness, the kindness, all the things that you have shared with us um, that you have called us to share with others. Um, Thank you for those things. Lord, please be with us today as we meditate on and think about where we're at in relation to our church, to Grace Bible Church. Are we in that place of needing to be reset, needing to think differently about life, about purpose, about, about direction? Or are we past that and now we're in that place where we just need to be employed? We need to know and do what you have placed us here to do. And then perhaps beyond that, Lord, we just need to be an encouraged or be an encourager. I just pray this morning that each one of us would find where you want us to be. And church would not be a place of being a fan, if you will, but Lord, church would be a place of participation, that we would come with a reason that's beyond us. And Lord, ultimately, you would be glorified because of it. Thank you so much for who you are, Lord, and all you do. In Christ's name, amen.